Well, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, we do welcome you. My name is Darren. I'm the lead pastor here. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. And we're going to be hanging out from Luke 9 all the way up to about Luke 22. So keep it open. Or if you got the digital, uh, digital version, just uh, we'll be kind of swimming around there a little bit. Uh, we're beginning our two-week series called Fully Alive. And we believe here at Crossroads that the death and uh, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives life. Those who were dead in their transgressions and sin being raised to new life. Well, today I want to talk about uh, a misunderstood Messiah. Uh, have you ever uh, misunderstood someone or been misunderstood? Anyone? Uh, any of you uh, awesome communicators here been misunderstood? Well, in the Embry family, this is the universal symbol for misunderstanding. And you're probably thinking, okay, that's misunderstanding right there. Um, let me tell you a little bit of a story. Dan and I had been married less than a year, and we were living uh, on the main floor of a two-story uh, house. Uh, it was a house that my aunt and uncle uh, lived in, and they basically had a basement suite, but it was on ground floor. Well, out on the West Coast, it rains a lot. Uh, I, I mean, a lot. It, it, it's going to rain this week uh, here at least it's supposed to. I have to tell you, I've told some of you this before, but when y'all get really excited about rain in Texas, I, I have to admit, I'm happy for you, but I'm not happy. <laughs> because I have had enough rain in my life for three lifetimes. So rain is just one of those Pacific Northwest things that we had. Well, we were living in this basement suite, uh, Dana and I, uh, at, We'd been married less than a year, and I had a rough day at work. It's just one of those days. It's pouring rain. The entire city is depressed because it's been raining for about three weeks. And uh, I get home, and, and life should be good, right? Well, I'm sitting there in our living room, and just off to my left is uh, the picture window that uh, is facing south, and there's this drip, drip, drip drip, drip that's, uh, we kind of had this big, tall window, and it, it had the, the awning uh, window at the bottom that pushed out, and right in that, that seam where the upper part of the window and the lower part of the window met, it was leaking, and, uh, and it had been leaking for three weeks, and it's this drip, 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 and Dana comes in, and she says, when are you going to do something about that? Or, no, actually, she said this, I wish you would do something about that. And then she just kind of went off doing her, her stuff in, in the kitchen, and, and I got thinking, oh, all right. So I went to my toolbox, and I got the caulking gun with the silicon in it. Now, it is pouring rain outside, so I put my raincoat on, and I went out to the front yard, and this window is like buried behind all sorts of shrubbery, and, and just it, it, so I'm climbing through the bush, I'm getting soaking wet, and I'm miserable, I've had a long day at work, and I get the, the silicone out, and, and I start going click a click a click a click a click a click a click across this window, and do you, did you know that, that silicone doesn't stick to a wet window? I didn't. I do, I do know now, but I didn't know then. And so I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, so I'm putting more, I'm putting more, and, and, and click it, click it, click it. That's important to know. Click it, click it, click it, click it. All right. So I'm going across. It's not sticking. It's just dripping down the window. So what do you do? You know? So 
I'm sitting there and I'm shoving it in and I'm trying to, and do you know that, maybe some chemist could tell me this, but why does silicone not stick to a wet window and yet it'll stick to wet hands? And so I'm pushing this this silicone in and I'm pushing it in and I'm sitting there and I'm just, I'm I'm having a pity party out there and and rain is like all over and I'm miserable and I'm wet and I got silicone on my hands and I'm just like, ah! And... I do as best a job I can and I make my way over to our door and I go to grab the handle to get in and my hand slips because I have silicone on my hands. Ah! So I'm just sitting there, I'm just ready to have a nervous breakdown and uh, you know, just this pity party for myself and I sit there and I hit the doorbell with my elbow and Dana comes to the door and she goes, what are you doing? She had no clue that I'd gone outside. She had no idea. She goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just fixing it. I'm just starting to cry. I'm just like, I can't. And I got this. And she goes, oh my goodness. She says, I meant, you know, I wish you would do something about that at some point. Like, not right now. And I'm like, well, you could have been more clear. And so have you ever been misunderstood? Uh, and the, like I said, the universal symbol in the Embry House for misunderstanding is not only this, but we have this kind of, uh, this phrase between, it's like clicka, clicka, clicka. So anytime we say clicka, 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 it's this, this uh, shuddering back to this time in my life when I had, uh, you know. But misunderstanding. We get thinking that we communicate well. We get thinking that we understand well, right? Well, let me just tell you that you're not the only one who was misunderstood. You're not the only one who has ever misunderstood someone else. Jesus was misunderstood. I believe wholeheartedly that what we get in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is is an exposure that that Jesus came uh, to accomplish a mission. Jesus came for one reason, and yet, time and time and time again, people misunderstood what he came for. Not just people, but those closest to him fully misunderstood. Take a look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Here Luke uh, draws attention to a, a, an event that takes place. Jesus is on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is up in northern Israel. And he's with his disciples, and he makes note of this one event. Look at verse 51. It says, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely, meaning in a determined manner. He was purposeful. And you think if you were reading and just casually, you'd think you'd turn the page from, from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 10 and there would be the, the crucifixion account or there would be the, the triumphal entry and then the crucifixion and then the, the, his, his burial and his resurrection. Well, that's not the case. You, you have to keep turning and keep turning and keep turning. And, and it's always baffled me, why does Luke in chapter 9 give us this this event where Jesus turns toward Jerusalem and yet he doesn't get to Jerusalem for about 12, 13 chapters later. Well, that's what I want us to look at today because in that, what Luke is saying is 
Jesus was very misunderstood, and let me show you how he was misunderstood, and let me show you what the true purpose of his mission here was. And this is what Luke wants to show us today. You see, there's this turn that Jesus has, and it amplifies that people around him didn't have a clue what he was doing. They didn't get it. And I I believe from time to time, we don't get it either. You know, from time to time, uh, you know, in a casual read of scripture, we, you know, we'll pick it up and we'll read a chapter and then we'll read the next chapter the next day or maybe a portion of a chapter and we, we tend to not get the overview of what's really going on. This was, uh, became very evident to me back in, in uh, seminary when I was taking an Old, Old Testament uh, course and it was focusing in on the prophetic books and, and particularly on Isaiah. And I, I, not that, you know, I purposely got behind in my reading, but uh, I found myself crunching and I had to, completely read the entire book of Isaiah in one night. And so I, I just got the coffee going and uh, you know, I started as soon as Gabe went to bed and I just kept reading. And, and in some ways it was very difficult, but in other ways it was very enlightening because looking over and reading the entire book of Isaiah in one sitting with a couple naps in between, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it just exposed so much. And if you ever get a chance to take a book of the Bible, like, like in this case, Luke, and, and read it through an extended period of time, you get a big picture. And that's what I want to expose to us a little bit this morning is what Luke is truly trying to say about Jesus' ultimate mission. You see, there was confusion. There was, there was misunderstanding. Um, shortly after this turn, where, where Luke notes this turn, uh, it, it, we're told that, that Jesus sent some messengers into uh, this, this Samaritan village. To, to pronounce that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming, and it says they, they, they didn't want anything to do with him. And so these messengers come back to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do you want us to like call down fire on this village? And like, come on, you're the Messiah. You've come to rule. You've come to reign. You've come to defeat these, these punks. And Jesus is going, no, 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 no. Another place where, where Luke exposes just that those closest to Jesus didn't have a clue. They wanted to call down fire on these people who didn't understand. Shortly after that, you know, keep, in keeping with this Messiah who was going to come and conquer, you have, you have the disciples arguing in amongst themselves. Luke, Luke reveals this. He says the disciples were arguing who was going to be greatest in, the, in this kingdom. That Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem and knock some heads around and sit on the throne and rule and reign from that earthly throne. And even the disciples had no clue what Jesus' mission was. Fast forward a little bit where Jesus is out on a hillside and and the disciples are starting to panic because there are 5,000 people there who need to be fed. And so what do they do? They go up to Jesus and tap him on the shoulder. Um, Excuse me, Jesus, um, there are people here who need food and as if we're going to send them away into their villages and stuff, so you better do something about it. You just better feed them. What are we going to do, Jesus? You, you take care of it. And once again, just, just assuming that, that Jesus, the powerful one, that he was just going to do what they needed or what they thought they needed to do. Come on, Jesus. People are hungry. Feed them. A little bit after that, we have an encounter between Jesus and Peter. You know, Peter's always flying off the handle and just kind of always just saying things. Uh, um, someone once uh, talked about, you know, some, most of us will, um, uh, you know, 
ready, aim, fire. Well, Peter was like, ready, fire, aim. And he was just kind of impulsive that way. And, and here again, Peter is just kind of having this interaction with Jesus. And, and, and Jesus turns to him and says, you know, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's saying, well, these other people say this and this and this and this. He goes, no, Peter, who do you say I am? And, and, and by Peter's own confession, he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, which is true, it's right. But, but that, that, that word, the Christ, is synonymous with the anointed one. And so what Peter was saying is, Jesus, you are the anointed one who's come to take up the throne of David and and to rule and to reign. And and nowhere, as Luke is exposing here, nowhere in Peter's confession is, you are the Messiah, the one who's come to suffer and die for us. So Luke is, in fact, revealing that Peter was misunderstanding Jesus, even in his confession. You have from there, they... Uh, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain and, and they meet in this fantastic arena with, with this transfigured Moses and, and Elijah and, and Jesus' physical body takes on a heavenly being uh, image. And, and Peter and James and John and Jesus and Moses and Elijah, they, they are hanging out there and the disciples go, hey, we got this great idea. Why don't we just hang out here? This is so cool. We got the prophets and Jesus, you're this incredibly wise teacher. And so why don't we just build some tents here and hang out here and just have one big happy life up here on this mountain? Why is, why is Luke telling this story? He's telling this is because they were misunderstanding why Jesus came. Now let's just hang out here. Let's just teach us. Just, just give us the, the, the wisdom that you have. They couldn't see beyond that event. A little while later, Luke gives testimony to Jesus sending 72 of his disciples out. Not the 12, but 72 followers. He sends them out. Go, tell people what's going on. Tell people that the Messiah has come. Tell people that, that, that your, your future is, is paid for and, and that, that the kingdom of heaven is coming. And, and these 72 come back and say, Jesus, it's amazing. Even the demons tremble. Even the demons tremble. What does Jesus say? He doesn't go, hey, good for you. No, he goes, you know what? No, 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 no. wait, wait, wait a second. You got this all wrong. It doesn't matter that the demons tremble. It doesn't matter that you can go out and, and, and the evil forces shake. What matters is that your name is written in the book of life. What's really important, see, you got it wrong. And, and Luke is exposing this. He's saying, here, even these 72 who were hanging out with Jesus, who were, who were carrying the mission that he was called to, they they were kind of scratching their heads. But Jesus went on. He taught about the, the kingdom. He, talked, he, he taught about the lost son and talked about this prodigal. He, he talked about the good Samaritan. And over and over and over again, he's, he's, he's teaching and he's, he's, he's revealing himself and yet they're not getting it. And I believe the same is true for us. It's easy for us to look at Scripture and go, oh man, these sad disciples who could just never get it right. And Peter, you know, Peter gets a bad rap. Yeah, and stupid Peter. 
Couldn't, couldn't get it right, couldn't see who Jesus really was. Denied him. Come on, like who denies Jesus? But I think it's the same for us. We have a difficult time. We get caught up in all sorts of other things. I think a lot of us, we see Jesus as this rock star superhero. You know, just like the disciples. Hey, the Messiah, he has come and he's going to kick some heads. Right? Well, we think Jesus is this rock star. You know, it's almost like getting picked for the, the good dodgeball team in elementary school. As long as you're on the good team, you're safe. I'm on Jesus' team. Woohoo! Right? I'm on the winning team. I got picked. Yes. Maybe there's some of us who just, you know, like the disciples going up the mountain and hanging out with the wise prophets. We get thinking, okay, Jesus is a, a great teacher. He's an intellectual. Fills my life with good wisdom and, and substance. So my life is fulfilled because I'm, I have solutions and answers to my questions. Maybe there's others of us who feel like Jesus is a bodyguard. You know, he's the one who protects us. He's the one who, who, you know, just puts that electric fence around us so the evil can't touch us. It's an insurance policy against bad things happening to you. For others of us, maybe Jesus is the emancipator. He's the Abraham Lincoln. He's the one who has come to set us free from those things that hold us in captive, hold us in bondage, set us free from our afflictions, maybe even from our addictions. Maybe some of you feel like uh, Jesus is the avenger, the one who, who, who inflicts the harm on those tyrants in your life. Or maybe the power broker. You know, back when I was uh, a teenager and into, into college, a lot of people were going to those Dale Carnegie courses. You know, he wrote that book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Well, maybe Jesus is that Dale Carnegie in your life. If I get close to, to God, if I get, you know, Jesus is, is in my life and I get close to him, maybe I can win friends and influence people. And, you know, Jesus is this power broker in my life. Maybe he's Santa Claus. Maybe he's this one who just gives good gifts. Gifts and gifts. And if I ask, and that's your, your favorite part of Scripture, asking will be given, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open. It's like, woo, Jesus, come on, bring it. Now let me tell you, all of those things are true, but Luke repetitively comes back to that is not the reason why Jesus came. And we get off track, we start misunderstanding. I think at times in my life, I see Jesus as the mechanic. I'm broken down. He's the one who comes in and fixes things, fixes it up for me. Maybe even in my life, sometimes I get thinking that Jesus is just that faithful friend. You've heard a lot in the news lately about these uh, emotional support animals. You take them on airplanes and you pet ferret. Do you see that one where somebody had a pet uh, peacock? They were taken on a plane? It's like, ah, no. <laughs> I don't, I don't, no matter how much comfort it gives you, like, keep the peacock at home, please. It's like, what? You know, we laugh, though, but some of us feel like Jesus is that emotional support animal. 
This is the one who soothes our fears, calms our anxieties. Now, does he do it? Yes, but what Luke is saying is that is not the reason why Jesus came. I want us to take a look at a few scriptures. First in Luke 13. Now remember, we're, we're going from Luke 9 to about Luke 20, 21, 22. And interspersed through that narrative, Luke reveals why, why Jesus truly came. Take a look at Luke 13, 22. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on, where? To Jerusalem. Remember chapter 9, he turned toward Jerusalem here in, in chapter 13, once again, always pressing toward Jerusalem. Even amongst all these other events that are taking place, feeding of the 5,000, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, all of these other things, he's continuing to press toward Jerusalem. Look at Luke 18, verse 31. Here Luke says, taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. This is where we're going. We're going up to Jerusalem. Let me tell you again, we're going to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Can he be any more specific than that? Let me tell you, disciples, we are going to Jerusalem and these things are going to happen. Luke is so crystal clear in highlighting over and over and over again this move toward Jerusalem and why Jesus truly came. Look at Luke 19, verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. This is the triumphal entry. This is, this is Palm Sunday. This is Jesus with the donkey moving into Jerusalem. And once again, Luke is amplifying that, that statement that this is why Jesus came. It's like pieces to a puzzle. That as you keep putting another piece in and another piece in and another piece in, the picture comes clearer and clearer. And so Luke keeps dropping these puzzle pieces in and saying, this is why, this is why, this is why, this is why. And it's all about Jerusalem and not just the city of Jerusalem, but what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And that is Jesus going to the cross. So from 951, from Luke 951, as Jesus resolutely with determination, with purpose, turns toward Jerusalem, Luke continues that thread it's almost like waypoints. Um, uh, I'm fascinated. Um, I'd like to be more into car racing and things like that. I'm just fascinated with, with, with racing in general. And there's this one race. It's an off-road race that runs from Paris to Dakar, Senegal, East Africa. And um, it's a, an off-road race, and there are these just immensely powerful four, four by four trucks and, and these uh, off-road motorcycles. And they, they, it goes on for days where they're traveling and they get into the deserts of, of the, uh, uh, the desert sands of North Africa, the Sahara Desert. And as you can imagine, there are no roads there. 
And there are these pictures that they have, these helicopters that are, are taking the, the footage of these, these cars and these motorcycles and things racing across the desert. And it's not like they have, um, you know, these lines along the side of the road or these mile markers. But what they do have, obviously they have a navigator and obviously they have some maps, but there are waypoints, there are these checkpoints along the way where these, these racers, where these cars, they stop at. And this is kind of the, the, the picture I have of Luke leading us through this narrative. He's given us these waypoints. He's talking about these places where we misunderstand Jesus and, and his disciples misunderstood him and his followers misunderstood him. But he keeps coming back to, here's where you can get grounded again. And it's called Jesus going to Jerusalem, Jesus going to the cross. It's all about the cross. Jesus keeps moving to the cross. Jesus didn't one day just go, oh, the bell's ringing, the alarm's going off, it's time. No, from the very first breath he took, the destination was the cross. The destination, the objective of Jesus' life is the cross. And what Luke is saying here is Jesus is not a rock star. Jesus isn't just a good teacher. He's not your bodyguard. He's not your avenger. He's not your mechanic. He's, he's not your Santa Claus. Yes, those are all benefits. Those are all the, the, the background stuff. But the most important thing is that Jesus came to go to the cross and pay the price for your sins. It's all about the cross. Right from 951 on, this is what Luke is highlighting. You see, you cannot know the real Jesus without seeing him on the cross and seeing him emerge from the empty tomb. That is the most important thing. He's a sacrifice for your sins. He is the payment for the sin penalty that we are guilty of. You see, there's a, a gap, there's a chasm between us and a holy God. And that chasm is caused by sin. And the only way it can be bridged is through Jesus Christ who came to build that bridge back home to God. The only way. And it only comes through the cross. It doesn't come through him being a good teacher. It doesn't come through him being a, a God who gives good gifts through his son Jesus. It comes through his son Jesus going to the cross. So as Jesus walks into the city of Jerusalem, as he's riding this colt and as these, these branches and these cloaks are getting placed in front of him in Luke 19, 41, it says this, but as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, it says he began to weep. He began to weep. And he said, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. I wish that you would understand the way to peace. I wish your eyes would be open, your ears would, would hear, your heart would know why I came. Jesus wept over the city. He wept over the city. He wept over even the Pharisees whose eyes had been blinded. He wept because his followers didn't fully understand. 
I believe the encouragement today for each one of us is that we would understand, that you would understand, that I would understand the exact reason why Jesus came. Exact reason why He was born. Exact reason why He lived and walked and ministered and taught and fed and led. It was all about the cross. The payment of our sin penalty so that we could have a relationship with God in heaven. So my question to you is, is where have you misunderstood? It's important to take an assessment. What has gotten in the way of you fully embracing the reason why Jesus came? Is it about our contentment? Is it about our peace? We cling to that. Jesus is the one who solves my problems. Jesus is the one who gives me wisdom. Jesus is the one who protects me. Is that what's gotten in the way of, first and foremost, the realization that He's the one who forgives our sins? He's the one who's paid the price for our sins. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes. And Lord, right here in this place, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking. Your Holy Spirit would be examining our hearts. And, and Lord, I, I want to give you permission to point out in each of us just those things that are clouding our view of who you are and what you came to do. Those things that have maybe taken the place of the cross. kind of those fringe benefits, those things that are, are certainly part of your character, those, those promises that you have indicated. But long before any of those take effect, it's about the cross. It's about us surrendering our lives to you and receiving the gift of salvation, the gift that was made possible through your death your burial, and your resurrection. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Father, for anyone here this morning who hasn't surrendered or hasn't taken the opportunity to surrender their lives to you, I pray that right here, right in this place, you'd reveal your great love for them. Your word says how, how great your love is. You have lavished your love on each and every one of us. That each and every one of us would be called children of God. Your children, your kids, your sons, your daughters. And it's made possible through Jesus. So come Holy Spirit, speak. Speak loudly. Remind us. Remind us that we've crossed over from death to life. As the Apostle Paul says that we were once dead in our transgressions and sin, but we've been made alive through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's who we are. We're alive, fully alive, thanks to Jesus Christ. Remind us, Lord. Remind us the potency of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus shed for us. We thank you, Lord. 
Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. We love you, Lord. Invite us to stand. And the altar team's going to be at the front. I've asked Pastor Barry to just lead us in worship. It's just a time of pausing, a time of stopping. I, I, I said in the first service, that's why I believe that this Wednesday night is a very uh, significant night, communion in the cross, because I, it's my conviction that we as evangelical uh, Christians, we jump from Palm Sunday where it's Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the next time we meet, it's Easter Sunday, which is he's risen, he's risen, he's risen, and we don't get a chance. And we almost don't let us ourselves stop at the cross. Even a lot of our songs are, yes, he died for us, but he's risen. We, he died for us, but he's victorious. He died for, and you see where I'm getting at that? And hear me, it's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing to park at the cross for a bit and to focus on exactly what happened. And we're, we're going to have some more time to do that on Wednesday. But I encourage you just even right now to just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life, the price he paid. And we'll dismiss in a few moments, but uh, let's just take a, a minute to just, uh, in the quietness of this moment, to just worship him for who he is and for what he's done.